Welcome to the High Vibe Podcast. I'm your host, Bree, and this is your weekly no-fluff self-development podcast for teachers. The High Vibe Teaching Podcast is the self-development you need to instantly improve your life and get through the crap holding you back. Becoming High Vibe has changed my life, and I know it can change yours too. Hello, you guys, and welcome back to the podcast this week. I am so happy you're joining me. Today, I am filming on August 29th. Let me make sure. Yep, August 29th. And this is actually my first podcast in my new place, in my new office. I wanted to have an office space to where I could decorate it the way I want and, you know, run the incense that I want, run the candles that I want, or light the candles that I want, and just create the most perfect place for me. I have yet to have that. So this is my very first experience having a beautiful office with a nice little candle running and a diffuser with my water, my coffee, and my nice little desk space. And actually, I'm going to open the window a little bit more open. Okay, and let a little bit more light in. That is so much better. You guys, welcome to the podcast this week. I am filming this, like I said, end of August, and this episode is actually going out on Labor Day. So when you are listening to this, happy Labor Day. I hope you guys had a fantastic, fantastic Labor Day. Um, I am currently, well, when you're listening to this, probably driving home from Arizona Jake's parents live in Arizona, more specifically Laughlin. You guys have ever been to Laughlin. It's pretty fun. And now that we live in Vegas, we are so much closer to Jake's parents. We are so grateful for the opportunity. Um, I'm seriously, you guys, like living my best life, honestly. Uh, This is our first weekend in Vegas, me and my husband. Last weekend, we had to go back to California for my husband's fantasy football draft. Um, if any of your like significant others or family members are in fantasy, you know exactly what that means. (laughs) I'm like, honestly, not super ready for all the dramatics during football season. And I say that because my husband is pretty dramatic with the whole like football thing and sports thing. Me and keep in mind, I played collegiate softball. I played softball all the way up to college, my sophomore year of college, I played for Team USA actually as well, and we played in Europe for um, a summer, but I have always been the type of like, it's cool, it's chill, like I want to win, but I'm not going to like be all extra if we're losing. That's just not me, but that is my husband. My husband is just a like teeter-totter, honestly. And I'm just preparing myself for that um, when football season comes on. I know it's happening very soon. And especially with my husband being in three different fantasy leagues. Um, yeah, Sundays are definitely the day where he watches football. I do my podcast. I edit my YouTube channel and I plan for my book club. And this is a perfect transition to get into my book club. So my book club is launching October 1st. I am in the planning mode of planning for this book club. I am telling you guys, I am making this so special. I am making this such an easy way to access the material and to get the most out of this membership. So the first month of August, we will be reading The Miracle Morning. And if you have not read it, it's by Hal Elrod. I read this book, I believe in November of last year, 
and it changed my life. And I'm not even, I'm, when I say things changed my life, I am being very genuine here. It truly changed my life. And we are going to be reading it for the week, for the month of October. We're going to be having a 30 day challenge in the month of October full of printables to keep ourselves accountable. And we're going to have an online community for the book. I'm telling you guys, if you have never been a reader, but want to become a reader, that was me a year and a half ago, pre, no, actually after COVID, um, I decided to become a reader and it changed my life. And that is why I'm creating this book club. If you feel drawn to joining this membership book club, I will be launching more and more information out on, let's see. September 13th, a whole video episode, a whole video is going to be going out on YouTube and same with a podcast episode will be going out directly, um, dedicated to the book club. There is a sign up link down below if you are interested in signing up and we will be having a monthly live call with an opportunity to be in the hot seat. So I decided to do this. I'll talk more about it in the launch video and podcast, but we will be having a hot seat. I know it sounds scary, but the whole point is to live on the edge, live in the fear zone and be a little bit uncomfortable to become comfortable, um, in the outskirts of, you know, what you're comfortable with. (laughs) Hopefully you guys understand what I'm trying to say. I feel like that was a bunch of metaphors like mushed up into one, but anywho, Welcome back to the podcast. I'm so happy you're here. I'm your host, Bree, and I just moved to Vegas. Uh, I looked for a job in Southern California, in Southern California for five months and couldn't find anything. Then I randomly had an intuitive nudge to apply to Las Vegas, Nevada, because that is the only place I would feel comfortable moving to. I have family here. It's only an hour and a half away from Jake's family and three and a half hours away from my hometown in California, which is totally doable. Like me and my husband were driving out to California or to Arizona from California, three and a half hours to see my parent-in-laws in Laughlin. So it's like nothing to me. It is just freaking amazing. I'm right next to an international airport. There is so much things to do here in Vegas. Um, I'll probably be doing a dedicated video about my whole experience moving to a brand new state, the transitioning, but I am still waiting to get into the classroom. I have not gotten gotten into the classroom yet. Well, I have. I was able to plan in my classroom a little bit And I was able to meet my two students. If you're new, I will be teaching kindergarten through second grade social emotional learning. It's a special education program. So I am considered a special ed teacher. Um, However, I do not have a SPED credential. So I have three years to decide if I want to stay in SPED or if I don't, if I want to go back into mainstream um, elementary uh, gen ed, I can, but I haven't decided that yet. I'm just really enjoying planning for social emotional learning and making that a part of our everyday routine in the classroom. Because eventually, if I do plan to go back into the gen ed, I 100%, 100% will be teaching social emotional learning to these kids. Um, I think this is a different episode to get really in depth in it, but kids need it. Adults need it. I think every single person needs a little bit of social emotional learning in their lives. Um, It's so, so important, but I'm still waiting on the state of Nevada to, you know, credit me 
um, you know, whatever they need to credit me for so I can get into the classroom. I'm hoping it's before Labor Day, but Labor Day is next weekend. So I'm kind of suspecting it's going to be after Labor Day, but we will see. If you want to stay connected with me, you can log in to Instagram and follow me at High Vibe Teaching. I am absolutely loving getting onto the stories, talking to you guys. I think eventually I'm going to be creating a podcast episode about how free I feel moving out of my hometown in this tiny-ish place in Southern California into a brand new state, a brand new city. I feel so much of myself coming out. Like I feel like I feel like my authentic self is just here leaking out into the world. I am so just high vibe right now. And I think you guys could probably feel it in my voice, in my vibe. But again, thank you so much for coming. And of course, I have to say, if you have not followed my YouTube channel, um, it will be linked down below. In this week's video, I took you guys on a vlog of my life. So I talked about back to school night and the slides I presented for back to school night. I showed you a healthy taco recipe that honestly, that was my first ever, um, meal that I've cooked in this apartment. So that's pretty special. I made it two different ways. I made tacos and I made taco salad and I keep it really healthy. You guys, I am totally into health, totally into wellness. And my whole diet honestly consists of whole foods. So if you're interested in that, that video will be linked down below. I also vlogged our first weekend out in Vegas. We went to Chinatown. We had faux Oh my gosh. I can't believe I just said that. We had pho. It's pronounced pho. According to my husband, my husband traveled the entire Asian sea, um, in the Navy. So he is really familiar with the different kind of food variations. So we had Vietnamese pho. So freaking good. I can drink that whole broth like in the soup. I just love the soup for the broth. It's so good. And we also had sushi at a Japanese restaurant because sushi is one of my favorite foods hands down. So good. But if you are curious, you guys can listen in on the vlog. It'll be linked down below. If you're listening to this at 6am, kudos to you. Thank you so much for starting your Monday off high vibe. And I'm so happy you're listening to this. I guarantee you your week will be better after listening to this. And um, the video will be launched at in the noon on Monday. I don't know if I want to start launching my videos at 6am um, in uh, unison with the podcast. I don't know yet. I mean, if you guys think I should, because you think it would be better, please reach out and let me know via Instagram. All right. Let me take a sip of this espresso and we're going to get into this week's podcast topic. So if you have not listened to any other podcast episode, except for this one, I highly, highly recommend to pause here go back to the episode where it says you are your best healer, chapter one of how to do the work by Dr. Nicola Perra. This is a series of us going in deep into this book. It's called how to do the work, recognize your patterns, heal from your past and create yourself by Dr. Nicola Perra, who is the holistic psychologist. This is one of the most transformational books I have read to date. I love the science portions of this book. And once I learned about the mind-body-soul connection, it was a no 
brainer to me. It was like, this is the information I have been waiting for. Like I knew this information was to be true. Um, I had this intuitive like sense of, you know, this is kind of not right. Like I'm looking for more connection and I found it. And this book is a perfect representation of mind, body, soul connection in the sense of science-based research as well. So there's scientific evidence to support the claims of everything I'm talking about today. And that is what this podcast series is about. So today we are getting into chapter four of the book. And chapter four is about the trauma body. And this is outstanding to me. In the previous chapter, if you listened to last week's episode, last week's episode was pretty um, hefty in the sense of if you guys followed that week's episode of, you know, you sat at your desk or you sat wherever you wanted to sit and you listened to the different childhood archetypes that you may have or be, you, and if you journaled about those archetypes, and you dumped your whole mind, body, and soul into your journal pages, and you just let it all out, you probably feel pretty transformed um, at this point. And I will give a little bit of a warning. Um, I have done a lot of inner child work. I have done a lot of shadow work. And I'm actually going to be doing a lot, a lot more. I'll talk about that later um, in future episodes. But I have done a lot of shadow work. I have done a lot of journaling work. And that's what you guys did in last week's episode. And it, it, it's a lot of energy to do it. It's a lot of heavy energy, but that energy needs to be released. And that's what this, um, chapter is going to be talking about trauma body. Um, it's not good to keep shit tied up into you. Literally energy you guys, we live in an energy world. Everything that we look at, possess in the material world is all consisted of matter. And we know that matter is liquid, gas, or solid. Okay. And we know that matter is vibrating together. The solid is vibrating together more cohesively in a looser vibration than the air is. The air is very loose vibration. It's um more spread out. Hopefully I'm explaining this well, but I think you guys understand what I'm saying. So all, all of our universe is based upon vibration. And if we keep like pent up angry energy, like uncomfortable uncomfortable energy tied into our body, aka stress, if we keep stress into our bodies, that is only going to hinder us. It's li- it's literally keeping us at a low vibration. Um, I love the analogy, or I think it's called an analogy, maybe. I don't know, you guys. <laughs> but it's called something like that. And just think of going up into an air balloon. And when you lift into the air balloon, okay, you're in the little basket of the air balloon. You throw the bags of sand off the air balloon. It's the same way of releasing trauma, inner trauma, trauma from our inner child. That's what you guys did last week. And we're going to talk more about that this week of how trauma affects the body in it on an energetic standpoint. Um, think of it as that air balloon I just said to go higher and higher to be more of high vibe, high vibe. You need to kick off the dead weight. It has to happen. And It's hard at the time, but it feels so freaking good after you do it. I'm telling you, you feel so much lighter. 
you feel so much more high vibe after you do it. So if you did do that childhood archetype journal passages from last week, I give you guys all the credit in the world. I did that a couple months ago. And that's just an example of why I believe in this book so much. It is so, so powerful. All right, we are diving into chapter four of the holistic psychologist, how to do the work and how to do the work is understanding all of this like energy work. So in the beginning of chapter four, it explains how the author was living in New York. She was dealing with headaches, brain fog, constipation, and to deal with these symptoms, she was taking a lot of over-the-counter prescription. Um, her mom and sister were also dealing with the same issues as well, but she never really thought deeply into why. Why am I suffering from all these symptoms? Why is my mom suffering from all these symptoms and my sister? So the author moved to Philadelphia eventually to continue her psychology school, and she moved very, very close to her family and started to, quote, pick the scabs of her childhood trauma that had long been forgotten. She realized that since she was back in her hometown near her family, she was remembering a lot of the traumas that she dealt with, with that she dealt with as a child that she was kind of like bypassing. So she was attending therapy that made her realize that her own protective coping mechanisms, aka disengagement, perfectionism, numbing, was passed down trauma from her mother's own deep-rooted trauma and pain. So all of these things that she learned from her mother, her mother learned from her mother and her mother learned from her mother. And that is a perfect example of epigenetics. How we not only are, what is it, conditioned or, you know, our reality is based upon our current genetics, but it also, the years and years of previous generations has a hold of us as well. So we have a piece of our past, as well as the future environment that shapes the people that we are today. So during this time, the author started to act out with her partner. She began picking fights, pushing her partner away, and freaking out when her partner would leave from the treatment. The author also, as a result from her trauma body response, began to faint. And this is when she began to ask why. Why am I fainting? What is going on? According to the ACE, just in case you don't remember, um, this was in the previous two episodes ago, the ACE is the Adverse Childhood Experience Test, and it's used to assess trauma. But remember, this ACE test is very, um, I guess I kind of want to make it sound like it's a little bit older to where it's not considering the varying type of trauma that is present today. Again, we talked about trauma in two episodes ago, so I highly refer Um, recommend that you refer that back to that podcast episode. But the ACE is used to assess the level of trauma in their clients' lives. So what I mean about the ACE testing is kind of like old school, I guess I could say, is because it doesn't measure the impact of spiritual trauma, which I associate to like a social emotional level of trauma, a deep sense of do I belong? Do I feel comfortable? Do I feel feel safe type of trauma? 
The ACE shows that what happens in childhood, especially when it was a highly negative experience, stays with us for a lifetime. From the ACE test, we know that traumas make us more likely to develop a host of physical and psychological conditions, such as depression, anxiety, heart attacks, cancer, obesity, and stroke. Research is there. People with unresolved trauma get sicker and die younger. Trauma affects the body in varied and complex ways, but the common denominator is stress. I remember growing up, my mom always used to say, stress will kill you, stress will kill you. And, you know, growing up, honestly, you guys, until I got to my sophomore year of college, I never really, and especially when I became a teacher, when I became a teacher, this was on overdrive. I just never knew what stress felt like. I didn't know what stress felt like until I was a teacher, if I'm being completely honest, and it completely rocked my world. So stress is more than just a mental state. It's an internal condition that challenges homeostasis, which is a state of physical, emotional, and mental balance. So when we are stressed, aka when we encounter a threat, either real or perceived, our brain's fear center, the amygdala, lights up. And once activated, this area of the brain then sends messages to the rest of the body that we are under attack, prompting the various systems of our body to mobilize the the necessary resources to help us survive. That is what stress does. Stress signals the fight, flight or fight response in our bodies to help us survive. However, normal stress is a good thing. It is good to feel a little stress in our lives. So whereas normative stress helps us grow and adapt, chronic stress, stress that is constant and persistent, wears us down and harms every system in our body. In in the case of chronic chronic stress, our adrenal glands release cortisol and other stress hormones such as adrenaline continuously pumping through our bodies. If you have not heard episode three of this podcast, I believe it's called the power of gratitude. I talk all about stress and I give a lot, a lot of scientific research about stress from one of my favorite scientists, Dr. Joe Dispenza. That is all in episode three of the podcast. If you're interested in it, I highly, highly recommend. That is one of my favorite podcasts. Also, how to combat stress is with meditation, stillness, gratitude. It's all in that um, episode three of the podcast. Highly, highly recommend you guys listen. So once our immune system gets the signal that we're living in a near constant state of stress, it repeatedly sends out chemicals that cause inflammation throughout the whole body. These chemicals act as a kind of fire starter for a wide array of symptoms of imbalance and dysfunction, increasing our risk of developing autoimmune disease, chronic pain, and other diseases ranging from heart disease to cancer. So our body is just constantly feeling stressed, constantly feeling threatened to where all of All of our body is just pumping out these chemicals to help us combat the threat. But what happens if the threat is just created in our minds? What if there is no threat? You know, everyone views threats differently. This is when, um, you know, maybe you're driving in a car and someone speeds past you or someone honks at you. That could be threatening to some people. Or me, you guys, it's funny because my husband gets like so angry at me for how I drive but I literally drive like chill. I'm a chill driver. 
I don't care if someone's riding my ass. That's their problem. I'm going the speed limit. I'm driving safe. I'm chilling. I don't care if someone's riding my ass in the rear view mirror. I remember when I was learning how to drive and my mom's like, you know, like you're not going fast enough in the fast lane. But I was like, but mom, it, the speed limit 65 and I'm going 70. <laughs> She's like, no, people are going to be mad at you. Like they're going to ride your ass. But I'm like, I don't care. Like I'm going the speed limit and I don't care if someone's riding my ass. That's not my problem because if they hit my bumper, it's, you know, it's their fault. So if we are living in a constant state of threat, in a constant state of fight or flight, and you know, we wake up, we feel threatened. We wake up, we feel stressed and our body is constantly pumping these cortisol stress hormones in our body to prepare for the threat our bodies will not be able to detect a real illness and protect ourselves against the real illness. So the impact of stress and trauma on our immune system and brain is so significant that scientists have launched a new field of inquiry into the mind-body connection called, here we go, psychoneuromonology. Psychoneuromonology. That's, I believe, how you pronounce it. According to the author, The Body Keeps the Score, Brain, Mind, and Body in the Healing of Trauma, aka a really good book to read for the book club, um, he states the stress hormones that the body secretes to protect itself keep circulating. The body must also devote excessive energy to suppressing the inner chaos of trauma or the activated fight or flight response, which further pushes us into a state of dysregulation. It's a vicious cycle in a psychological loop repeating, repeated over and over again. Stress affects every single system of our body, including the gut. It's no coincidence that the gastrointestinal GI problems are one of the most common issues cited by people dealing with anxiety. When we are stressed or frightened or anxious, our body has trouble digesting food and can either hold on to for too long, resulting in constipation or release too quickly, resulting in irritable bowel syndrome, IBS, or diarrhea. Stress affects our food choices and the makeup of our microbiome in our gut, which is constantly communicating with our brain, something we, we're going to discuss this more in chapter five, the next chapter. In these cases, your body is denied essential is denied essential nutrients, either because it isn't breaking down food that we eat fast enough or it's discharging it before it begins to process. So to me, this is just like a perfect indicator of, you know, we're not made to have constipation or have IBS. There is deep rooted reasons why we have IBS or uh, constipation. So if someone is experiencing the symptoms of constipation IBS, there could be reasons as to why. And it could be stress. Um, I have a really good feeling that most of the population is under stress. And I think, I mean, from my own experience, a lot of the stress is just kind of man-made. Or we are making the stress ourselves by having monkey brain and monkey mind. And having having our minds just go rampant, crazy fire. And it's really hindering us. So now we're going to get into polyvagal theory, vagal. I think it's polyvagal, correct? You know what, you guys, I, this is one of my little pet peeves. I'm just going to let you know right now. I am not the best reader. 
Okay, I think I've talked about this before. I mean, I am now. I will say I'm a good reader now. But there's always this little thing in my head that I'm pronouncing words wrong sometimes. And um, I'm not the best speller at all. I don't spell well at all, which is probably why I'm not the best reader. But I really dislike when people like give me grammar errors, like advice on my YouTube videos. Like people get pissed. People get pissed if I don't pronounce a word right. And I'm like, holy crap, like, come on. Is it that? Is it the end of the world? I don't know. But anyways, I'm going to call it polyvagal theory, polyvagal. And going back to that grammar talk, I kind of think of it as like, if I had a little student that wasn't the best at speaking, I'm not going to make them feel like crap for not being the best at speaking. I'm just going to say like, oh, nice. Like I, I'm not going to just be all rude to them because they didn't pronounce a word right. Or they didn't use the correct grammar in, you know, what they said or wrote. I'm going to be more like encouraging than that. I'm not just going to be like all mad at them to where they feel discouraged. That is just a lot of where I'm coming from. I just get a lot of discouraging like messages and comments sometimes on the way I say things or the way I speak. But honestly, come on, you know what I'm trying to say. So stress alters our reality. Obviously, you guys, our mindsets give us the reality that we're looking through. Whatever's going through our head is giving us the reality our current reality. That is why I'm so big into high vibe mindsets. It will literally change your life. But there is zero part of your universe that stress does not alter. As we have seen, unresolved trauma coupled with poor coping strategies affects the body psychologically. Stress alters your reality. The term polyvagal refers to the vagus nerve. I'm going to say vagus nerve, whatever, what, which connects to the brain and the gut. The vagus nerve has many branches of sensory fibers that run throughout the rest of the body from the brainstem to the heart, lungs, genitals, you name it, connecting every single major organ to the brain. The location and function of these nerves help us understand why the body reacts so swiftly when we're stressed why our hearts race when we run into an X and why feelings of panic make us feel short of breath and why the author started fainting or losing consciousness out of nowhere from the stress of her body. When we are in a state of homeostasis, the vagus nerve acts as a neutral break, keeping us calm, open, helping us be more of our social selves. When the vagus nerve is activated and it enters its defensive system, fight or flight responses can manifest themselves almost immediately. And I want to just touch on the word manifest. Manifest means create. It creates in reality the symptom of constipation, the symptom of depression, the symptom of anxiety, headaches, all of that is manifested from stress. The information about the polyvaginal theory is going to be very, very important. So just remember that term. Remember it continuing on with this episode. So now we're going to get into the topic of social engagement, which means having conversations, going into crowds, meeting new people. 
Our body uses an automatic system called neuroception. It is called the sixth scent because it operates outside our conscious level. So it's operating in the quantum field because everything in this world is based upon energy, the vibration of energy, like we talked about before. So this is outside our conscious awareness and the quantum field and puts people in places and things into one of two categories, safe or unsafe. To me personally, this sounds like what many people in the spiritual community talks about as intuition, but I do think intuition is a little bit deeper than this, um, telling the, the difference between safe and unsafe um, with the fight or flight response. But to me, it sounds very similar. When we are in social engagement mode, so when we're having conversations with people, being in social settings, we can look even more engaging and friendly. Like we, to the outside, using the sixth sense to other people, we can look engaging and safe to others. Um, Our smiles seem more authentic. The vagus nerve connects to the muscles of the face. So that's the explanation to that. And our voices sound more friendly. The vagus nerve is also connected to our larynx, which is our voice box. Our hearing improves as the vagus nerve connects to muscles in the middle of the ear, which opens up so that we're better able to hear calm human voices. Even our saliva glands are activated, greasing the wheels of our most potent instrument for connecting with the world around us, our mouth. When we are in this receptive state Our resources are allocated to higher executive functions to the brain, such as planning for the future, self-motivation, problem-solving, and emotional regulation. Now that we're not consumed with survival, when we are free to be our authentic selves, this is the state of play, joy, compassion, and love. I call this, well, this is the author. The, The author calls this the learning brain. It is flexible, open, calm, peaceful, and curious, all key states for achieving milestones in neurological and behavioral development in childhood. We are more likely to make mistakes and learn from them. We are more likely to get up when we fall. So I wrote a little note here in my little like podcast write-up. So before I do a podcast episode on information like this, I always take notes. So on my notes, I wrote, this is a pretty deep thought I had. So after reading that, after learning how the va- the vagal um, nerve connects to so many of how we perceive the world or how we perceive other people, um, it controls how open we look, how friendly we look to our sixth scent. And that to me sounds like a high vibe. Like when you are being a high vibe person, you are safe in your environment, you kind of control yourself and know when your ego is talking and you can self-regulate your stress, you can self-regulate your emotions. That's what part of being high vibe is to me. Um, just knowing that our sixth sense that everyone has that can be read upon um, in the quantum field, this is scientifically proven, just confirms how I have felt my whole life. So even currently, when I'm in certain situations and when I am meeting certain people, I can tell 
if someone is being like their genuine authentic selves or not. And I don't want you to feel like that's scary, but like, I like to relate it to when I was dating. So I always had the idea that I wanted to be married. I always wanted to be married. I always just wanted to be in one committed relationship and us work as a team and build a beautiful life together. That's just always what I've wanted. So when I was in the dating scene, I, no joke, you guys could tell (laughs) in about five minutes if this person's going to work out for me or not. Like, I know that sounds crazy, but I think that, I think that's just part of like my own personal, like special power. Every single person has their own little special thing about them. To me, I can read vibe pretty well to where I know if someone's being truly authentic and, or like truly vulnerable and just truly themselves. And when people are honestly like, when someone is 100% vulnerable, 100% themselves, when they can laugh at their mistakes and make themselves sound silly and be weird, that is when I feel the most comfortable around people because I don't feel like I can't fuck up. Um, so that's just like the way I perceive my environment around just other people, for example. So the fact that, you know, this is a thing and I, I think about being in the classroom and in the classroom, my hope every single year is that my students feel like they are safe in my room. I want my students to know that I care about them, that I'm not going to talk crap about them, that I'm not going, that I really value them. I value them as people. I think they're all genius. I think they're all smart, loving little people. And I want my students to know that in just thinking of how this is one of my top priorities in the classroom. Yeah, a cute classroom that looks so cute, so beautiful, so environmentally friendly. Like you can have the most beautiful environment in the world, but if you are not bringing that energy into that room, the room's not gonna fix the energy. So that makes me think of how important it is to be a high vibe teacher, if I'm being quite honest. Um, Being a high vibe teacher to me is being that teacher that loves every single one of her students that understands um, maybe some biases she, they may have towards certain students. Like, cause we know some kids get on our, get on our nerves. Like we know this, but being a high vibe teacher understands that this kid's getting on my nerves, but why, how can I help them? How can I um, dig deeper and figure out why they're doing this? Do they need more attention? Do I need to see what's going on at home? Do I need to help parents at home? Like, I consider being a high vibe teacher catering to the needs of this topic that we're talking in. And it's just so much more deep than having like a cutesy um, Pinterest classroom. It's so much more deeper than that. It's actually having deep, safe relationships. And those are the relationships that I keep around in my life. Personally, I'm very, 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 very picky with how I spend my time and energy. I've actually been like this my whole life. It's something that I really pat myself on the back for. I'm very, very picky with who I hang out with and who I spend my time with because, you know, some people just aren't my vibe and they need to figure that out for themselves and they will on their own journey. But in my journey, I just want to be by high vibe people. So honestly, I seek that. And again, I can really feel that. I can feel it and I feel safe. I know when I feel safe, I am good. And I know for a fact, 
Our students feel the same way. I've heard over and over and over again that the number one contributor to student learning is the teacher. Students, people in general, um, because I like to think of students as people, um, they, people do not learn from people they do not like or respect. That's the truth. Who the, I mean, come on, me? I'm just talking about me. I'm not going to listen to someone I don't respect. Like I'll listen to them, but am I really going to like trust what they're saying and trust that what they're saying is for my highest good? No, not really. So our students are the same way. So that's just like one of my mission statements, really. My mission as to doing this podcast, having the YouTube channel and creating the High Vibe Book Club is because I know how important teachers are to student success. And every single one of these students in our world, in the United States, in our world, deserves to have amazing teachers that can change their lives, you guys. How many times have you heard, or even for yourself, that my teacher, my favorite teacher was my teacher in this grade because they were amazing. I loved how they spoke in front of the classroom. I loved how they showed their vulnerability. I loved how brave they were and strong. And I loved how they never really cracked under pressure. Um, that's just what I'm thinking about the teacher that I liked the most. All right, now we're going to talk more about fight or flight. And I don't know if you guys know this or not. And I actually had to talk to my husband about this a little bit, but there is a third option between fight or flight and it's freeze. And that's when we freak out or, um, you know, kind of zone out back in the previous chapter. Let's actually get into it. In activation mode, the vagus nerve sends SOS signals to the sympathetic nervous system, making our hearts pump harder and faster, activating stress response in our adrenal glands that increase our cortisol levels and raising our body temperature, making us sweat. In this heightened state of stress, we literally experience the world differently. So our perception is changed. Pain doesn't register. We focus on louder, more distressing sounds, We lose our sense of smell and in activation mode, we look different. We grow dead-eyed, our brows furrow, our shoulders hunch, and we take on a defensive stance. Our voices take on an unnatural stressed out tone. The muscles of our middle ear loose and suddenly we register only high and low frequencies, what are known as predator sounds. Again, this is going back to when we were prehistoric humans. Um, that's where we came from. We came from prehistoric. We still have that in our genes. That's why we have fight or flight. But the key thing is a lot of us signal stress for things that really aren't stressful, that are really just our mind going crazy. Everything filters through a lens of possible threat. A neutral face becomes hostile. A fearful face grows angry. A friendly face is suspicious. Our body has primed itself for battle. It's important to note that we enter fight or flight mode entirely subconsciously. Our body's reaction to this threat is instinctual and involuntary. It is not a choice we make. We cannot blame someone who believes they're being attacked for lashing out any more than we can blame someone for sweating too much when they exercise. So people who experience a poor vagal tone known as overactive sympathetic response system, have a form of chronic stress state. They're in a form of chronic stress, constant stress on the body, 
Do you guys understand how much energy that takes to be in a constant state of stress? It honestly sounds exhausting. So now we're going to get into that third mode of fight or flight and it's free. The third option is fighting, flighting, or freezing. We become immobilized. Our whole body shuts down. Our heart rate and metabolism slow to a crawl. Our bowels either release completely or clench up and hold. Our breathing may stop. We may pass out. This happens when our body feels that there is no hope for survival. Justin Sinceri, a polyvaginal informed therapist, polyvagal informed therapist, describes immobilization, immobilization mode beautifully. If you see a bear... Your mobilization mode may be activated as your body primes you to either run or flee. But if the bear is already on top of you, your body might just give up and play dead. Some detach so completely that they view the event as a dream. Others develop amnesia. Whatever the degree of dissociation, this involuntary or evolutionary program trauma response explains why many of us have so little memory of past experiences. If we were never truly present when events occurred, we have no event memory to return to. It also explains how hard it is to disengage from this detached state and return to the present moment. Also, we have learned about dissociation in a previous episode, episode 33. If you're unfamiliar with what it is, it basically is when our body is in such a state of stress that we kind of black out. We don't register what's happening. Um, it kind of just gets tucks away in our subconscious mind, but it's a body's, it's our body's defense mechanism of not remembering the traumatic event. All right, the social world. So the author has had many patients expressing their lack of connection. Not a deficit in personality, but it's a product of their vagal tone, a measure of their nervous system's response to the environment. First of all, I am so sorry if I keep saying vagal. I don't know why I want to do that. It's vagal. I believe it is. But when we have poor vagal tone, we have higher sensitivity to perceived threats in our environment, which overactivates the body's stress response and leads to reduced emotional attention regulation overall. That's because your subconscious perceives a threat, which means using your nervous system sixth sense of the neuroception in a non-threatening environment and has activated your body, putting you into a state of fight or flight um, or freeze. The social world has become a space filled with threat. And she gives the example of someone going into a party and they think everyone's talking about them. They have social anxiety. They think everyone's um, like being rude to them, judging them. Um, it's their perception that could totally not be happening. People could really not even give a crap, you know, but your social anxiety tells you otherwise. And that's your poor vagal tone. And it's all scientific. Unfortunately, this kind of nervous system dysregulation is self-confirming. While it, it is activated, anything that doesn't confirm your suspicions will be ignored, but your neuroception in favor of the things that do. Um, for example, so you will ignore a, a friendly face, but you will pay full attention to a stray laugh that you feel was directed at you. So you feel like someone's laughing at you. Social cues that would seem friendly when you were in social engagement mode, such as pausing conversation for you to enter eye contact, a smile will be mis um, misunderstood or ignored. 
Like you won't even notice that's happening. Um, we are interpersonal creatures. We require connection to, to survive. Yet nervous systems that are dysregulated due to unresolved trauma keep us unfulfilled outside our emotions, trapped in our inability to connect with others. And again, she said she had so many patients coming in for therapy for this when it was not that they... I mean, I guess like social anxiety is like the diagnosis label for it, but it's because of poor vagal tone, vagal tone, not because that there's something wrong with the person. There's nothing like wrong with them personality wise. It's just the vagal tones off because the person's probably under heavy stress. That's what stress does to you. Stress will F you up. This podcast is getting a little deep, like it's running a little long. Hopefully that's okay with you guys, but this is just really good information. So co-regulation, we mirror the automatic state of people around us. When we are fully present and safe, we have a lightness, a high vibe about ourselves. We pass this sense of high vibe to others and a sense of safety. Our energy is transferable. Our energy is contagious. Become the energy you wish to uh, attract. Our energy is contagious. That is why it is so important for us to be high vibe individuals so we can help others feel safe and shine their own lights. Our nervous systems are responding to theirs and we learn this as children as well. If you lived in a house surrounded by calm and healing energy, your system not only internalized that environment, but mirrored it. If you lived in a house full of chronic stress and chaos, um, where overreaction happened and rage spiraled out of control, disengagement or fear were the norm for you or the person, your internal resources were likely tied up in the management of stress. You were constantly in a survival mode and you could not freely return to the safe social emotional um, social engagement mode. As we've learned, children are dependent creatures. If a parent figure provides a chaotic, stressful environment, the child will internalize that state and generalize it. This is how the world is. Everywhere is like this. If, um, you know, I'm not in a chaotic place, there must be something wrong. Like, to some stu- people and kids, chaos is their norm because that is what they're surrounded by constantly. This is survival brain as opposed to the opposite, which is when you're feeling safe and you can socialize normally. That's the learning brain. It's hyper-focused. The survival brain is hyper-focused on perceived threats, thinks about things in hard and fast black and white, and is often circular, obsessive, and panic-driven. We are very fearful about making mistakes. We Uh, trash around, break down, or shut down when we fail. When I read this, I just think about, you know, some of the social outbreaks that happen in classrooms on a daily basis. And it's because mostly, according to what I'm reading, um, that's just how these kids learn how to cope with their traumas. Like, I know so many teachers are dealing with kids. It really doesn't matter what, um, you know, socioeconomic level they're in, it is obvious that lowest, lower socioeconomic has more of this behavior than, you know, higher or middle, but every single socioeconomic does have trauma attached. And that is why we see kids lash out like this or, you know, um, hit, scream, cry, throw desks. And it just like a part of me, it hurts my heart, but 
another part of me is like, I'm so happy I'm informed on this because I know how to help these students because I understand, sorry, I understand the science behind all of this and I understand why this is happening. I'm not just generalizing. I truly understand on a scientific level what trauma does to everyone's body. And since we're teachers, what trauma does to students' bodies. Now we're going to talk about emotional addiction. And this is one of the things that I find very fascinating. The brain learns to crave the feeling associated with the trauma response. This is the loop of emotional addiction. This is the habitual loop. All right, I'm going to read a pretty large excerpt um, from the book. It's on page 79, but I want you guys to listen and think about how this is a thing. So a typical day of an emotional addiction looks like this. You wake up in the morning and you and dread washes over you. The alarm is buzzing and it's time to get up and get ready for work. Immediately, you have the same thoughts you have every single morning. I need coffee. My commute is 45 minutes. I have to shower. I wish it was Friday. Ugh. Your mind is doing what it always does, providing you with the endless narratives of many things you need to do, though you desperately wish you didn't have to before you have done them. Your body responds to your stressful thoughts. Your heart rate increases, your breath shortens, your nervous system upregulates, your stress hormones are released all before you've left your bed. On the way to work, there is traffic. You expect the traffic because it happens every single day, but your mind still races with critiques about how you should have left earlier and how much you hate your commute. You experience a buildup of frustration and anger, which you discharge onto your coworkers once you get in the office. You complain to them and it feels good to be heard. And when you open your email, your heart starts racing again and your stomach tightens. You spend more and more time venting, which again feels good and the cycle of emotional activation continues. When you arrive home, you're exhausted, which is a normal response in a day of living to on an emotional roller coaster. To relax, you reach for a glass of wine. Because you're so exhausted, you're unable to be present and connect with your partner. You turn on Netflix and begin binge, binge watching. The stressful crime show allows you to feel the same emotional spikes you felt all day. You love the uncertainty and the way it feels you the way it leaves you on edge of your on the edge of your seat. You feel somewhat content and more relaxed because of the wine, and eventually you fall asleep on the couch. You wake up at 2 a.m. and then throw yourself into bed just to repeat the same pattern again and again and again and again. Essentially, the person is addicted to the feeling, even if the feeling makes them stressed or sad. It feels familiar and safe to them because they have felt this since children. To me... This is the explanation of why, you know, there's so many science article or articles in general um, that discuss how poverty is in generations and generations and generations and generations to an extent, or why addiction is throughout generations, generations, generations. It's so deep. It's not just environmental. It's also um, with genetics and with um, epigenetics, and it's just fascinating. Um, the author's environment growing up was through a sense of alarm and pain and fear and anger. Her mom was sick and the neighbors were rude. So that's what they really talked about the most. They talked about how sick the mom was and how sad and stressful it was. And then they always talked about drama about like, oh, this neighbor is rude or my coworkers suck. Um, when the author wasn't experiencing um, all of this drama this is why she would nitpick when things were calm in her romantic relationships and panic about upcoming work deadlines, which I 
personally feel like that is fascinating to me because I have been guilty of this and I am aware of it now. I am aware. So long story short, I know this podcast episode's long. Thanks for sticking with me. Um, I promise you you're getting good information, but, um, when I was coming out of like my depression, you know, what I just, that expert that just talked about waking up with dread, not wanting to go to work, you know, being around negative coworkers. Um, when I was going through that phase in my life, I was totally bringing that into my relationship with my husband. I am aware of it now. I can see when I do it now and I I'm fixing the situation because I am aware of it. This is from the book on page 80. So some of her clients have described how the outrage they experience from watching the news actually makes them feel pleasurably charged. They want that rush of anger to or disgust. It's one thing that makes them truly feel because their body has become so accustomed to operating from highly charged baselines. This <laughs> makes sense to me because I don't watch the news. I don't like to watch the news. I never watch the news. So I don't even put that in my realm of my reality because I don't like it. But I understand why people would because that's what they grew up with. And that's another reason why um, a lot of people choose relationships that are familiar to them, even if the relationships aren't good relationships for them. They want someone who would commit and who would be clear about their feelings, yet they keep returning to the same relationship dynamics because it felt exciting. Addicted to the cycle of unpredictability and powerful biochemical response they got from it. They couldn't pull away. So in summary, in summary... Understanding why the nervous system becomes dysregulated and realizing that stress reactions take place outside our conscious control can help normalize these behaviors and explain why so many of us feel alone when we're in a crowded room or why we put substances into our bodies to numb our natural psychological responses or why we lash out, run away, or disengage. As we have seen, these are all automatic responses that are conditioned by experiences with co-regulation in childhood or lack thereof. However, this is not the end of the story. And there are ways to help cure this. There are natural remedies, naturally or natural ways to help us regulate our nervous system. So we are not in a state of stress or fight or flight. And that's going to be on next week's episode. You guys, I cannot believe this has hit an hour almost. This is my longest episode I've ever done. Hopefully you guys are enjoying the series. I'm telling you, this information will change your life. Um, it changed my life, which is why I'm sharing it. So I do want to thank every single person for listening to this week's show. Please leave a review, share to anyone they know who might find this valuable. Follow me on Instagram, subscribe my YouTube channel and this podcast. And I will see you next week. I love you all. Keep it high vibe. And remember, becoming high vibe has changed my life and it will change yours too. Bye guys.